Welcome to Crop Watch Podcast, a production of Nebraska Extension. Well, hello, and welcome to another edition of Fridays with a Scientist. Today we have Kaylee Schwartz, PhD student in School of Natural Resources at University of Nebraska Lincoln. Kaylee, how are you today? I'm good. How are you? Not bad for a Friday. It's been weather's been pretty nice this week for has been. late November, early December. Um just a little bit back to you, your journey, your background. How did you get to where you are now? Yeah. So I'm currently in my third year as a PhD student here um, in the School of Natural Resources at Lincoln. I work mainly with the National Drought Mitigation Center. I started on this kind of drought journey, I guess, in undergrad as an environmental science major at Auburn University. And there I kind of got a big, broad picture of the environment what environmental science is, and I got really interested in GIS and remote sensing. So I took a bunch of those classes and decided I wanted to do my master's. So I moved to Huntsville and did my master's at the University of Alabama in Huntsville. And there I worked with a program that was a joint initiative between NASA and USAID that had different hubs across the globe. And I worked mainly with the Hindu Kush Himalayan hub out of Kathmandu, Nepal. And I worked really closely with our colleagues there to develop a drought index based on their needs and what they already had in their toolbox, essentially. So I loved that process. I thought it was super interesting. That whole index used remotely sensed products. So it kind of gave me that technical programming, GIS, remote sensing knowledge. Um, But one thing that I thought was lacking was the human aspect of drought in turn like in into that index so since I loved my master's I came here for a PhD working with the National Drought Mitigation Center because I also love drought it's a very complex problem has a lot of details that need to be included to fully understand the whole problem in different places so I came here and my main goal was to do research that combine the social science data with the climate data. And SNR had has a human dimensions program for this natural resource degree. So I thought that was a great fit and I could to continue drought research, which is what I'm doing here. Very cool. Sounds like you kind of hit the best of both worlds. Just a couple of quick questions. Like, um, are you from Alabama? Originally? I'm not. I am from the suburbs of Chicago. Okay. It's like, you don't necessarily sound like you're from Alabama. Yeah. I, yeah, like, I guess since I did my undergrad and my master's there, that is a very common question. Um, My mom found Auburn on the internet, had never heard of it before, but it it was was more than just a hair color. Yeah, exactly. I was like, oh, this is cool. Um, It was a great college town and had good sports. Yeah, I won't won't ask you about the football game last Saturday then. Yeah, that was a, that was an upsetting, (laughs) upsetting loss. Um, I think most of the country was not very happy with that. <laughs> yeah, that's a that was a tough one. That was a tough one to watch. But that is the beauty of an being an Auburn fan. Those the losses are usually but big losses. They beat them occasionally. They do. They I mean, hold probably their more own. than any other teams beat Alabama last ten years. Yeah, they they do hold their own. They do play better at home, as expected. But yeah, the my the football stadium on game day is just an unbeatable experience sure. and you, i'm trying to think you probably weren't there when they had the kick six in 2013 
No, that was a couple years before I started. Okay. Uh, the other question I had, did you actually get to go to Nepal? So I did my master's. My first six months were in person, and my last year and a half was during COVID. Oh, sure. So it was on the schedule, but because of all international travel being really yeah. difficult, I did not get to go. So that must have been... Do you find it incredibly difficult to complete a master's being, you know, fairly secluded from other people? Like you're, I mean, you probably couldn't meet with your advisor in person or meet with your committee or just hang out with students. Like you couldn't have a normal grad student life there for a good portion. Do you, do you think that made it more challenging? Yes and no. I do think Huntsville had a lot of opportunities to be outside. So I did still see a bunch of grad students. We'd go hiking. We'd sit outside like at a park or just at a brewery. Um, so that was really nice. I think that was probably a unique experience of having so many outdoor livable spaces mm -hmm. in town and easy to access. Um, and I met with my advisors online every week and it was, it was a challenge, but everyone was really supportive that whole, that whole time. Um, really willing to hop in when I was kind of, when I needed help and to go through the data with me, even though it was online, I think we found ways to make it productive of without like being able to be near each other, mm -hmm. I guess in person. But yeah, I, we went hike. There was a lot of hikes happening during sure. that time. Were you, uh, yeah, well, I'm a pretty, my wife and I did a lot of outdoor stuff in 2020 and 21 um you know bike trails and stuff like that yeah, or yeah. the breweries that uh, did have outdoor seating it was nice too um who were your two advice who are your advisors at uah my main advisor is rob griffin and then i worked most closely with lee ellenberg okay i think i met lee at aesc in yes. june he um saw i was in lincoln and i think he mentioned your name he was like well i actually ironically enough i think i'm talking with her next week yeah like yeah. you and i had coffee like that following monday yeah he was with the SEVERE program where I did my master's when I started and now has since transitioned into the state climatologist office. He does more agro-climatology related sure. research and outreach. Yeah, very good. So one of the bigger components of ag research or just agriculture in general, uh, having both my parents grew up on farms. Uh, so I learned early age that drought was very impactful. I think actually what maybe probably got me interested in drought was the uh, horrendous drought that affected a lot of the Midwest in 1988. Uh, you had one grandmother that made us do a rain dance pretty often. The other one made, made us say a prayer for rain before we go to bed. And so I kind of learned, okay, this was a really big deal for farmers. So like you mentioned earlier, that human element uh, in Nepal was very, very important. Uh, so I mean, I, I really appreciate that you find that that human element is very important um, in that in natural disasters in general, the drought might be more specifically uh, in terms of like the remote sensing products, so like were they most interested in like stream flow and snowpack? Uh, what, what were like they most like the index? Is it mostly focused on like a couple of different uh, metrics? Yeah. So the index I made was actually sp specifically for Pakistan. Okay. Um, they were that the organization we partnered with was based out of Nepal, but they service a bunch of the Hindu Kush Himalayan countries. Okay. So yeah, the index was specifically for Pakistan, but we looked at different time lengths of SPI, so precipitation, soil moisture was a big one. We had VPD in there, vapor pressure deficit. Mm -hmm. um, 
I think I had 10 indicators to start was kind of the first run seeing which ones had the most importance. And then I did use kind of a random forest algorithm to remove variables by districts. So they districts are kind of smaller than states in comparison to the US, but similar level as a state. Sure. Um, but yeah, so I looked at what, what in different provinces, which is the level up, um, kind of the big big picture, what's important, and then you could file down to the district level to see which in what regions, because the northern part of Pakistan is really mountainous, but then you're on you have coastal land down in the southern part. So it's very, very wide ranging of habitats, eco-regions. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. So that was really interesting. But yeah, didn't didn't specifically look at stream flow or snowpack in my index. Okay. Yeah, I was thinking more of, of the higher elevations, yeah. not necessarily like the more humid or well semi-tropical type of mm -hmm. place that would be closer to the coast. That'd be more a very, very vulnerable to a monsoon that was very late or very, very weak. Yeah, very dependent on the monsoon season. Sure. sure. Uh, so one of the things that I've spent uh, you know, a good number of years doing research on was a topic called flash drought. And it seems like you also have done some work with flash drought. Yes. So part of my dissertation research has been looking at flash drought, um, specifically kind of the, the perceptions of water managers or water-related managers in the U.S. But then also, since flash drought is relatively newer, there's a lot of definitions and a lot of different ways to define it. Absolutely. So I looked at different quantitative definitions um, and how they compared looking at known or perceived flash droughts. So it was really interesting. I really enjoyed this type of research. Um, it combined data from the US Drought Monitor and then also data from a survey. So in that case, you did, I did get the climate data and the social science data, which I really enjoyed. Sure. Well, and again, like the U.S. Drought Monitor, which I know you're relatively familiar with, um, but you make and binds a lot of different type of indicators: um, short-term, long-term precipitation, soil moisture, stream flow. Uh, you know, all, all all it runs a gamut. And it uh, it also has a human element to it because you have people from every state that submit uh, impacts and reports and things to the authors. It's like you have that uh, communication. And, you know, I think that actually is very important. I actually think it makes the product better. Uh, at this yeah. point in time, with the technology we have today, with, especially with machine learning and increased computational capacity, and you know, cloud computing and all that, you could absolutely write algorithms that would do the drought monitor completely in automated sense operationally and have no human input whatsoever. And I'm sure there are people that would probably just say, yeah, let's just do that. Let's remove the human element entirely. Uh, but then I think you miss out on the intricate things that are happening. Because, you know, you could have, like, for example, you talked about the standardized precipitation index earlier. And I think it's a very, very useful index. And it might, in some cases, be the most useful drought index just because, you know, precipitation yeah. is everywhere. Right. And so it's like it, you can sort of interpret it in a similar way everywhere because of how it's calculated. Um, 
But like, you know, if you get a three inch, a three inch rain in July that comes in 45 minutes and three quarters of it runs off versus a three inch rain in October where almost all of it goes to the soil has a very different impact on soil moisture. And, you know, that three inch rain that mostly runs off, um, you know, isn't necessarily that water isn't all usable for the crop. So you might still have some impacts. You might still have other um, hydrologic impacts or something that maybe the precipitation indicator might say was better than what it really is. So, so I think having that on the ground information for people is actually very, very valuable. Um, I guess why they take a look at so many different metrics is like, you know, they all kind of some, some, sometimes they're all pointing in the same direction. A lot of times they eh, seem to be kind of in the same direction, but maybe like magnitude of the, of extremeness would be somewhat different. Yeah, I agree. You can't necessarily take humans out of the equation when it comes to really any system. We are part of the land and we do have impacts to it. So mm -hmm. I think, yeah, the that that part of the U.S. drought monitor does make that product really unique in the sense that you do get that more contextual information that looking at just a remote sensing product misses out on. Oh, absolutely. Um, but in your research, were you finding that some of the quantitative measures, were they were they actually using the drought monitor to define flash drought? Yeah, so I looked at six different definitions that have been published in the drought literature. Mm -hmm. And the formula, formula in quotes, um, kind of looked at, it was more of like a change of X number of drought monitor categories over Y number of weeks. So how quickly are these categories changing? And each definition defines that a little bit differently. Mm -hmm. So one of them, um, it was in a citation from Pendergrass in 2020, looked at, they define flash drought as a change over two weeks of a, a two category change over two weeks that is then sustained. So you get that quick onset of a two category mm -hmm. change, but then it doesn't go away at it has to stay there for two more weeks. So it's kind of that type of formula and they all were just a little bit different, which made them show different flash droughts in different ways. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I, I think what's been, what's interesting about flash drought is that even within the community, there's, there's agreement to a point, but like, I think everybody has a somewhat different viewpoint of it. And I think it kind of depends on where you're coming from and what, you, like, so I think people that come from the Midwest or that have a more agricultural background or have a, or thinking more about the agricultural risk, like, I think they, you know, they tend to think of it more as like, okay, it's, you know, if something occurs over four to eight weeks, it's more in that sub-seasonal, seasonal time frame. And there, there's like a relatively sharp decrease in precipitation. You notice the increase in air temperature, higher vapor pressure deficit, those sorts of things. Um, but then there are other people that seem to think even something even shorter term than that could be used. And I, I think that's where there was a fair amount of most disagreements been just over like the actual length of it i think there, there is some consensus on that it is something like this be more of the rapid intensification or the rapid onset uh i think it's just more of a i think where like jason Aachen, who i would kind of consider the yeah. premier flash drought uh author person 
I think his point and one I fully agree with is that the there has to, it has to also be statistically be drought. So it can't just be a, it has to be just like to be able to be discerned against like just a more typical dry spell. Um, so it has to have like some statistical meaning. Like you have to actually have percentiles for different things that are like 20th percentile or below to actually fit that, which is what, you know, would match up with the U.S. drop monitor categories. Um, but I mean, I, I do feel like the, the community is kind of coalescing around that intensification aspect of it. And I do think that's important. And I'm guessing what you were probably refining in some of your research is that like the, there probably is great societal importance and consequences for that intensification. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think, so one part of my research, as I said, compared these different definitions. And I do want to say there are a lot of other quantitative definitions out there that use different indicators. Oh, sure. Um, but I looked at the ones that use specifically the U.S. Drought Monitor to be able to compare how they're showing flash drought differently. And then the second part was looking at a like responses from a survey of water managers. So they are, these are the participants were people who have kind of stakes in drought. They are managing the impacts, they're managing some part um, in different sectors. So you could have a like someone who's working in tourism, someone's working in ag, um, across a bunch of different sectors. And how, I think one of the main, I don't know if this was a surprising, but I do think like so, a surprising finding. But, just ask a real quick question. Yeah. Like was the survey, was it, I'm assuming this was not just like confined to like a small group of people. Like this wasn't just based in the Midwest, right? No. So the survey went out to NIDUS's, so the National Integrated Drought Information Systems, mm -hmm. Drought Early Warning System email newsletter lists. Um, and then also this survey went out in preparation for a workshop, a flash drought specific workshop. So it went out to those participants as well. Um, so it was a very big span. I think we also had the listserv of state climatologists and the U.S. Drought Monitor listserv. So it went out to a lot of people. Sure. So we got a wide range of respondents across the U.S. Um, in general. But what were some of those, like, I'm, I'm assuming you had a pretty wide range of responses. And uh, did you find that, like, was there any, did you find that certain responses were more similar based on, like, the type of sector they were in or the type of, um, or, 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 like, geographically similar? So I didn't, I guess, I did look at sector-by-sector sector answers of specifically questions like there were a couple questions. One of them was, is the term flash drought useful? And then another question was, is the term flash drought confusing? And I looked at those questions by sector. Um, I didn't compare the answers geographically, but I do think that's really important because there is some discussion around flash drought might look different in different regions. Sure. And just to back up, this is the paper that's in Weather Climate Society that yes. uh, you led that was published, uh, what, in October? Yes, in October. It's a recent paper. Yeah. So two questions, like there are two kind of primary questions in the survey. Is flash drought, is the definition useful mm -hmm. and is it confusing? Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm curious if people actually thought the term, if they thought the term was useful. 
most sectors did. I I think the lowest was around 33% of respondents saying it's very useful or extreme, extremely useful. So that's still a pretty good bit um, of people within a sector. Mm-hmm. But in general, I'd say at least across the board, I think I had 12 or 13 different sectors, at least 40% responded very or extremely useful. Okay. Um, but then when you look at the the results from is the term confusing, about fif- at least 50% of people saying yes, and in, in each sector are saying yes, it's very confusing, or yes, it's somewhat confusing. So there's a little bit of disconnect between it's some people in these sectors think it's very useful mm-hmm. and useful in general, but then you still have a pretty large group of people that don't quite understand the definition. Well, that makes sense. Well, and I, and I, I know you maybe didn't get into this, your paper is probably, it's kind of beyond the scope of a normal paper, but the, you know, my impression is some media outlets that not that they probably talk about it a lot, but I feel like some of them kind of capture the more consensus type definition somewhat well, but some will start calling any dry spell or heat wave flash drought. I think some people are, I think there's some, conf- at least in my mind, there almost seems to be some confusion between like a seven day heat wave versus a, a flash drought that's over a longer period of time. Uh, so, I mean, if some people, what they're being fed in terms of like their local media or saying, oh, well, flash droughts is, you know, spell a heat, then I can understand their, their confusion. Yeah, I think because there are quite a few definitions in different news and just hearsay through neighbors saying what is a flash drought, I think that makes it really confusing. Because um, you also, it is kind of, the term is kind of compared to a flash flood. But flash flood, you see where the water was. You know the road is fl- flooded. You know your basement has water in it. Whereas you don't necessarily see those same impacts when you say flash drought. And when it, when people are, are experiencing flash drought, you need quicker communication. You need like to get the information out to say impacts might be coming sooner than you think because this drought is happening quicker. Mm-hmm. And I don't, and I think the communication around the term flash drought might not be as streamlined as say the definition of agricultural drought. You hear that term and you know plant stress, soil moisture is low and you don't necessarily have that same association to what happens in a flash drought. So moving forward, how to communicate in in times of flash drought, but also before flash drought, I think is really important. Um, Part of the survey also looked at challenges and needs of these of water managers during flash drought. And one of the themes that came up for a need is the knowledge of impacts. And then a challenge is the rapid onset. So people are trying to manage for this rapid onset, but not necessarily, they don't necessarily have the toolbox of what's going to, the impacts so they can then prepare for said impacts. Sure. Yeah. Well, and do you think part of that is just because traditionally we haven't been able to reliably predict the, the occurrences of them? 
yeah, that's definitely a big part of not not having the prediction. Yeah. So what? it's a little bit hard. It's harder to nail down of what what it is and how to how how to manage that rapid onset when it's kind of coming on so fast and you had like blindsided by it to some degree. Oh yeah, sure. And that blindsiding is probably worse if you know your organizations or your state doesn't really have a robust plan that has that has community has all the communication lines in place. It's easier to manage something if you have a plan for something happening and you have all the people, the right people involved, and you can immediately start getting resources delegated to people that need it. Uh, but yeah, I, 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 you know, I think we, we, yeah, you're right. Like flash flood. Yeah. You see the impacts really quickly. Um, and you know, the National Weather Service puts out flash flood watches, flash flood warnings. So, like they kind of can give you a heads up that, Hey, this is like right now, grand, they're probably giving you like one or two days in advance, not right. yeah. two weeks. Flash drought is something that takes a little bit longer, but I mean, in, in grand scheme of things that, that onset, that really rapid onset and rapid or rapid intensification, um, you know, can be very, very impactful. And, you know, sometimes there's not much you could do. I mean, if you have, right. if you're a farmer that's um, rain fed and you have a, a six week intense flash drought or, you know, that's flash drought, of course, being a subset of drought, but, um, you know, there maybe isn't a whole lot that you could do, but if you have some reliable guidance three months before that, yeah, this might be a little bit more likely. You might choose how you, you might plant your, your plant population density might be a little bit different. You might purchase a little different type of insurance. Uh, maybe you put on a little bit less nitrate. There's just, there are certain management decisions that can be made if there's enough lead time. And yeah. I think other than just there being some confusion of what the definition is. I think even if we were had really, really good consensus on definition until we get to a point where we can, you know, with some reliability say, yeah, there is a real strong risk of this occurring in this region and that you could expect these types of impacts. Um, I think you're going to kind of continue to see what we probably have been seeing uh, to some degree. Um, so did, did you find that um, like certain sectors of water managers were more attuned to or like more attuned to this than others or is it just really kind of random it was kind of random across the board um yeah i think comparing these results to region to their like to what region they primarily work in would have been really in, like pretty informative i think because mm -hmm. that would have answered that question a little i think or i've gotten gotten there a little bit more um because i think in the midwest flash drought might be more of a common term or used more often as sure. opposed to maybe somewhere else where they're not seeing flash drought but it probably occurs more here than it does in some other parts of the country i mean there are places that have it occur with more regularity or less regularity or maybe really intense events can be a little bit more common or less common um, so there, there might be some of that, I'm guessing. Um, but just so I, you, I think you, you have some interest kind of down the road in more policy oriented things, don't you? Yeah, I do. Um, I think policy does like science, science informed policy mm -hmm. 
really has an imp can have an impact on how we manage drought and flash drought in general. Sure. Um, and it does combine both the scientific kind of the, yeah the scientific results and the information with societal aspects. So kind of takes my research to maybe one step above it to have to I guess generalize scientific findings to be able to make sound policy. Sure. Do you, do you th this is probably a bit of a loaded question. Do you think there is, like, what do you think the biggest gap is right now in terms of anything policy oriented toward drought? Hmm, and there's not a, I know there's not a perfect answer to that, but like give yourself a second to think about it. Yeah. I don't know if my current knowledge of all things policy related to drought is in depth enough to answer that question um and that's fine it's i don't know or i don't have enough information yeah. it's a perfectly valid response yeah i don't know um i think maybe at this like a smaller level more localized from the survey people the respondents were saying they need more sensor sensors and more ways to access localized data, which okay. that doesn't necessarily line up to be a policy, but it could in well, some ways. I mean, yes, in the sense that states or other government or you know, a combination mm -hmm. of government, NGO, industry can make sure that we have more data. Yeah. And I, I, yeah. I think you hit on a very important point with regards to the U.S. drought monitors, so I mean, you know, those categorizations, the changes are based on the U.S. drought monitor. U.S. drought monitor is based on a lot of different types of data. Right. And there's a lot of places in the U.S. that have large data gaps. The state, for example, the north central part of the state, there's not a lot of other stations. There's not even just I mean, part of that's because it's a very sparsely populated place. Um, but, you know, my guess is certain products would look better if there were more stations right so i think actually what you're that to me is a a very important description of a gap that we really actually just need more reliable data yeah especially like as you said the areas that don't get a lot of attention in terms of monitoring products they're like in situ modern monitoring is a pretty large gap i think Respondents are also seeing that like those gaps are really important to manage for flash drought when they don't when you don't have data in a specific area that they that's part of their region that makes it a lot harder to say what's going on um, numerically. Sure. Yeah. There, you, you may not like I think what I'm getting from you is there may not be the proper context which to compare something against. Right. Yeah. And you know I I, I think that's kind of a common complaint from. Some groups that say they don't like certain aspects of drought monitors, like, well, I mean, in some cases, there's just not enough data points in your area to right. say for sure what's actually going on. And we know there's, you can get coverage, you can look at like a AHPS maps and see, well, there's precipitations, like, well, but like there's, that's a lot of radar estimate in there. And there's some, that's not exactly perfect. It's pretty right. good, but it's not exactly perfect. It's like, it, you know, and then there's remote sensing social oil moisture, all that. They maybe only gives you like a part of the profile, certainly not giving you the entire profile. And that's, you're not getting out all the time and there's error in that. Um, 
So like, I think the more places, or at least if we're just collecting temperature and precipitation, like those are some pretty important variables. Like right. that's, um, you know, and I, I think that's just, um, you know, that, that data gap is just another uh, box that checks like, hey, this is like, hey, another reason we need more mesonet data, more mesonet stations in the state or yeah. across the country right. uh, for, for monitoring. Yeah, that is kind of what came up quite a bit in one of the themes of this paper was, yeah, this the expansion of current products. Um, and then just, yeah, like how can we use, since putting in new stations is an undertaking, mm -hmm. um, how can we there's use- There's expense. Yeah, and there's, it costs quite a bit of money. Like how can we use the current products to gain more information or different information. Um, I don't have a good, I don't have a good understanding of what information is needed down at that kind of, that's kind of like a region or system specific need mm -hmm. and that could vary place by place. But yeah, I think having that social context of what's missing, what are you struggling with? what happens when flash drought occurs or drought in general occurs what don't you have is one step toward making either policy or grant funded research to address the needs and the challenges faced by people who are managing day-to-day -day drought and flash drought sure did you find that any of the responses were that oh i've never even heard of this before yeah there were a couple um not many, I would say. I don't have a number off the top of my head on that, but. So I just, I, uh, for more clarification, this survey was when, like what period of time, like. It um, was sent out in October of 2020. Okay. So people were responding to this over a course of like, what about a six to 12 months period? I think it was shorter than that. Okay. Okay. So this is, okay. Um, not that that's bad, but you got a very wide range of people across the country. Mm -hmm. uh, but no, I, I was asking that because I think there's been a lot more concerted effort in the last five years to try and define, get a better actual technical definition of flash drought and get more, raise a lot more awareness of it. So the fact that very few people were unaware of flash drought is to me a win for the scientific community. Like we've actually done our due diligence and actually at least making people aware of it. Maybe the next step is making sure that people have a more concrete understanding of what it is and what it's, what it's not, what, you know, maybe you, what you can't use it for. Right. Yeah. I mean, since this was a survey and there could be some bias in who responded. So the people sure, and you who, can't control that. Right. So the people who didn't respond, we don't know if they didn't know flash drought. So they were like, Oh, I don't need to answer this. Cause I don't know what, what this is or, or like, yeah, like why they didn't respond. And then, we don't know why these, why who responded did respond. So they might have responded because yeah, flash drought's really important. I know I don't have a clear understanding or yes, it's really useful and I want to help move this research forward. So there could be some bias in who responded, but in who responded, yeah, there wasn't a lot of people who but said, I have no idea what this is. I think that could be said of pretty much any of those types of surveys, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, what what kind of response that. rate did you get out of it? So it was a 5% response rate, which... That's not bad. Not bad. Um, I think we had... Maybe... I don't... So, I mean, just given that you, 
went out to a lot of different types of groups. Like 5% right. means you still got an absolute number, a large number of people. Yeah, there was enough data. It was in the hundreds. Okay. I know of the number of people who responded. Um, I don't, I don't know exactly, but yeah, it was enough data that we thought that was an okay response rate for what we were trying to do from it. Mm -hmm. Um, not all the time is 5% acceptable to do certain analyses, but we did, we felt that it was, that, that it would be okay. And that we know some of these, we, we address some of the biases that could have could have been due to this low response rate, but yeah, you can't control that in most cases. Mm -hmm. um, so we thought it would be okay. Sure. Well, I mean, given the period of time that, that this was being sent out, October 2020 through early 2021, that wasn't exactly a period of time where people were able to get together and have workshops right, or have yeah. meetings. Like that was basically the, other than literally mailing out a hard copy, which right. my guess is your response rate probably wouldn't have been that much different if you mailed this out to people. Yeah. Unless yeah. you maybe wrote like a, you know, sat down and wrote like 5,000 handwritten notes. Like, please respond to the survey. So will help my dissertation. Yeah. Then you might've gotten somewhat more responses, but um, clearly it was good enough. I mean, certainly passed mm -hmm. muster with reviewers and that's most, certainly the most important thing for a publication. Um, it sounds like you, you got some very useful information out of it. And I think you mm -hmm. actually did identify, um, you know, one very important gap. It's like, you know, we need just more data, get more information to, to right. know when we're actually getting in these things. Uh, was, was there anything else that stood out to you in terms of responses that either you thought was very, very important or that you thought was pretty surprising? Yeah, this wasn't. So I guess one, one thing, I'm not exactly sure if this is necessarily surprising, but and this didn't have to do with the responses, but when you compared, when I compared the different, well, I guess it did kind of have to do with responses. So I looked at 10 or so different flash droughts, maybe a little bit more, but five of which have been identified in the literature. So we know experts, uh, academic experts. You, you could, and I, I guarantee you, other than maybe a couple of the most obvious ones, that there are people, reasonable people are going to disagree on, on what's yes. on those flash droughts. Right. So, yeah. So we use like the literature as kind of, these are known flash droughts. These mm -hmm. were known to academics and yeah. So Midwest then, 2012, Southeast 2016, or yes, yes and yeah. a couple others. Yeah, exactly like that. Um, and then the survey asked if people had experienced any other flash droughts. So they wrote in when they experienced flash drought. Oh, really? Cool. Yeah. So I had a handful of others like survey identified flash droughts um, across the country. And I think something that was kind of, I think, noteworthy is that the flash droughts that people wrote in tend to be a lot smaller than 2012 Midwest, 2016. Smaller geographically. Geographically, um, and not necessarily um, as big. So the respondents are perceiving flash drought at a much smaller scale than the academic literature is publishing on. Mm -hmm. So it's not as black and white as these are the only flash droughts. This is what um, researchers are looking at. But the water managers live in that gray area. 
Oh, absolutely. So it's a little bit, not necessarily surprising, but something I think that's a conversation of droughts, I guess, come in many shapes and sizes, as we all know about that. But there are those smaller flash droughts that are occurring that might not have as large of impacts as that 2012 Midwest flash drought. But people are still very localized, very localized, but people are still living through those and having to manage. Sure. Those. Yeah. Those droughts. So I guess maybe here's another question along those lines with uh, regard to the self-identified ones. Like say, uh, were, did you identify like a specific period of time, which they would have occurred? Like say, think of a flash drought occurred in your area in the last like 10 years or 20 years, or did did you do that? Yeah, so they there wasn't a set time frame for the respondents to to think about, um, but most of the ones they wrote in were from 2020, which would be kind okay. of that. So something recency. very, very recent. So yes. like that you would say, so I, I was always I was trying to get us, was, was there a recency bias in that? Yes, definitely. Um, a couple people also wrote in 2011 Texas as a flash drought. Okay. So that was, that was, I think. And there are people that actually disagree that was a flash drought. Yeah. Um, So that was the only one I think that wasn't in 2020, but the survey identified had that recency bias. And, you know, actually that makes sense. You saw a, like, I think early in 2020, we had very little the country in drought as defined Mm -hmm. as drought in the U.S. drought monitor. And by the end of the year, there was a lot of the country in droughts. Like, yeah. I, there was actually that was probably the biggest drought explosion we've seen in the country since 2012. It just didn't get as much attention in 2020, just because there were uh, other things that were more concerning right. societally yeah. that year. Yeah. Um. So that that doesn't surprise me, and it, it could be the other recency. Uh. It, I, I wonder if part of it too is just like anything was magnified in 2020. Right. That's a good point. Yeah. There's. Uh, everyone was dealing with a lot of different stressors throughout that whole year um but yeah so yeah there was there was that recent more recent more recent identification interesting to actually you know using some of those definitions like okay yeah this this was this was this wasn't just actually kind of see like um my guess is probably over half of them probably would classify as flash drought i mean there clearly was a lot of flash drought that year um but I, I, I think too. I, I think I, I, my argument around here has been that we had um, a double dip flash drought. So we had one in summer twenty twenty two, where we had the kind of rapid onset and intensification, and kind of plateaued at not great level, but not the worst level. And then we had the spring, and it's like, okay, that to me was like, it was rapid intensification of the existing droughts. And I, I think there's, I, my impression is the community seems to be getting a little bit more acceptance. Of the rapid intensification of the existing drought and i think that's where some of the argument about 2011 in texas is that you you already were kind of dry maybe a little some level of drought going in then you rapidly cascaded into uh something that was worse um so in, in terms of like the the impacts did you did any of them give like specific examples of, of things like they would call like it's like um cascading societal impacts like you know we had this happen and then then we had these three or four things that just went to hell in the handbasket after that. Hmm, that's a good question. Um, I can't think of any kind of can't think of any of that those type of responses off the top of my head. Sure. 
Um, and you're, the questions may not have necessarily been meant to really get at that aspect. I was just more kind of curious about yeah. the sense if anybody mentioned that. I think, yeah, that is a good question. Um, yeah, nothing off the top of my head of like the cascading, this happened, then this happened. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of respondents did talk about the like the need of commun communication between both management within their organization and then like the lower, not lower tier, but the, you go down one to the end users. Mm -hmm. So they're like, how do, how do you get that straight, that information streamlined, which does kind of go back to the quick, the quick onset. Um, the information needs to come faster. Sure. But they had some stories around, around that type of theme with the communication. Sure. And like, you know, for people like myself that are extension that, uh, you know, do a lot of communication outreach, are there, were, were there messages in there that could really help us communicate better to um, different audiences? There were answers around the need for more education. Okay. So I like in, in any more specific sense or just kind of general? More general. So I think from like a, your role aspect, like you would be the educator mm -hmm. of the of flash drought in specifically, and then looking at or being able to help others understand what impacts can they expect? What can they do in flash drought? And then what data might be useful for them to look at during okay. flash drought? So that those kind of different streams of data. Um, there were answers of not like not knowing what to expect or that they view the impacts of flash drought differently than other, other droughts. Um, and that was kind of more a general theme. I think there were some specific examples of what that meant, but in general, okay, what they're seeing is different than what they're used to. Sure, sure. And it, it could be that since it's a more recent term that, mm -hmm. you know, I think, like we talked earlier, like there's probably some of that, um, maybe a little bit of confusion. Actually, you said like almost 50% of people said they were kind of confused by the term. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, that to me is an indication that, um, you know, as educators, we have a lot of work to do in, in trying to, you know, um, identify what some of that confusion is and try to help clear up some of that confusion. Right. Yeah. That's not going to happen overnight, but I think maybe that's where um, I go and talk to different extension educators or different groups. I think, okay, how, how, what's the best way to talk about this? What kind of information do you guys really actually need? Mm -hmm. um, maybe not, I, I'm not sure what they really say. Oh, we want to, you know, we want a six week advance notice of something that happens like, well, I don't know if I can give you that. Right. But at least we can be a lot more timely and targeted with what we are giving you. Exactly. Um, and, you know, those types of things. And at least they say like, oh, once you have a drop in place, then, these other things that are either physically, you know, related or societally related, like in terms of cascading impacts, mm -hmm. these things are more likely now once you get into flash drought or in a, in a, in a drought. Yeah. Um, so maybe yeah. trying to connect some of those dots of people would, would also help. And, you know, I, I imagine there is an angle of policy in that, or at least in terms of like, or at least it's certainly in terms of the communication aspect within different agencies that really have, uh, they're tasked with doing these things right and you know and i, I think in every every different it's interesting that 
how differently states manage water and manage you know, yeah. any, any, any amount of resources. So um, there, there's not a, I think because there's not, you can't just say there's a one size fits all solution to this. Exactly. That is definitely a very big takeaway in drought, flash drought in general. Yeah. One, doing one thing somewhere won't necessarily help other people in a very different region. Mm -hmm. um, but I think flash drought communication and research has come a long way since this survey was sent out in 2020. So it would be really interesting to see how people view it now, mm -hmm. a couple years later with more research being published and the communication. Sure. I, more, you know, maybe it would be useful is just every three or four years just to send out the similar survey just to see, yeah. are we actually making progress in terms of understanding? You know, I, ideally, you would get some of the same water resource managers answering this, but you know, maybe you would have some differences. But in, in aggregate, if we could see that, yeah, we are getting less confusion, more people understand what this is, and they'd be yeah. able to understand what data go into this and how they can try to help people manage it, then that's all the better. You know, we, uh, um, we need data to be able to make decisions. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, you wouldn't necessarily be able to compare, I think, one survey to the next since you wouldn't know. Sure. If, but in general, you would have that sense of, are we making progress, like you said? Right. But as long as the overall numbers were yeah. sort of comparable. Yeah. You know, if we saw a radical change one or the other, then you know, maybe we'd say, well, maybe it was just an issue with the survey. But I think if we yeah. actually were seeing, I think ideally what we'd see is that we would see relatively, progressively fewer people that were reporting confusion. Yeah, you would, you would definitely hope for that because that would mean communication yep. is working. Yep. And you seem to be very interested in this communication aspect. So what, what do you kind of have, uh, what do you vision for your yourself down the road yeah. once you finish? I hope to be more in a translation role. So I don't necessarily want to be doing the research, but I want to be taking the research and bringing in all these different papers that are published and talking to all the, the people who are doing the research um, and be able to take that information and spread it out to the people who need to know that information um, to help prepare and mitigate drought and try to move toward a proactive response mm -hmm. instead of a reactive response to drought. Um, yep. Just to decrease impacts essentially. Um, so yeah, I really would like to be in a translation role, I think, between between the scientists and the end users, whether that be water managers or um, farmers, just yeah, bridge that gap between the two. Excellent. Well, it seems to me you're on a very good path for that. I wish you the best of luck. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for coming on today. Yeah, thank you so much. This was fun.